The long drawn out battle between the PGA Tour and players who have joined Live Golf will take the fight to court. And today the PGA Tour has officially and legally responded to the three players who want to fight their way into the FedEx Cup playoffs. We have the news and reaction right here on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. We begin today with more news on the legal battle between the Live Golf Series and the PGA Tour. Today, the tour responded to Taylor Gooch, Hudson Swafford, and Matt Jones, who are seeking to circumvent their suspensions for playing the Saudi-backed Live Golf events and participate in the upcoming FedEx Cup playoffs. The response to last week's antitrust lawsuit was filed in U.S. District Court for California's Northern District today with a hearing for the temporary restraining order scheduled for tomorrow in San Jose, California at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. PJ Tour's response to the temporary restraining order plaintiffs highlighted right here despite knowing full well that they would breach tour regulations and be suspended for doing so, plaintiffs have joined competing golf league Live Golf, which has paid them tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in guaranteed money supplied by Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund to procure their breaches. The TRO plaintiffs have waited nearly two months to seek relief from the court, fabricating an emergency they now maintain requires immediate action. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week magazine on this Monday. Your reaction as we begin to see the start of the tour's adjudication, how they expect and hope this case will be fought. The PGA Tour has always had a reputation, probably well-earned, Damon, of treating its members somewhat with kid gloves. Now we're seeing how zealously the Tour is going to defend its members against members who are not in good standing and who are acting essentially as frontmen for the Live Golf in this litigation. And I, I, it's quite strident, the language the Tour uses in its reply here, that they're essentially accusing the plaintiffs, in this case, Gooch, Swafford and Jones, of concocting this tapestry of misrepresentations, of hearsay, and in some cases of outright lies, and arguing that there is nothing arbitrary or capricious about their suspensions, that these players were informed that if they were to go down this road that there would be suspensions, that they were then duly suspended. They are now claiming that they are harmed by these suspensions. The tour is arguing that any harm is self-induced in this case and simply that these three players are seeking judicial permission to continue breaking the regulations that they've been breaking. The tour basically saying these live golfers are fabricating an emergency despite knowing the tour regulations and breaching those regulations. After looking at what the tour has filed this morning in Northern California, do you sense that either side has an upper hand here? I don't think they have an upper hand in the broader issue. And I'm not even sure how much the temporary restraining order case will ultimately be reflective mm. on anything. It's a smaller battle in what will ultimately be the bigger antitrust war. And traditionally, the courts have tended to allow athletes to continue competing while broader issues are litigated. And that would be an expectation a lot of people would happen, would come tomorrow. But the tour makes a fairly robust case here on, as to why that should not happen, that this is self-induced harm, whatever harm exists, and that the, the crisis is manufactured at a late stage because these guys were all, all three of them were suspended June 9th when they put a tee in the ground in the United Kingdom, and they've waited until this point in August, a few days before the, the event begins, to try to manufacture the idea that they need emergency relief, that in fact they don't need, according to the PGA Tour. Uh, the bigger fight still ha has years to rumble in the antitrust case. I don't think that either side would claim it as a victory. Sure. If the tour oh, yeah. comes out on top tomorrow, and certainly Liv will if it does, but it's a smaller battle within a much larger war. That hearing, 4 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. The FedEx Cup playoffs scheduled to begin on Thursday in Memphis, Tennessee. How dangerous of a week is this for professional golf, considering... This is one of the big moments in a PGA Tour schedule, the FedEx Cup playoffs, beginning the same week that there is a hearing in this antitrust lawsuit, this TRO, against three former members of the PGA Tour trying to fight their way back into said FedEx Cup playoffs. How precarious of a week is this for pro golf with fans 
that will surely be turned off by this type of off-the-course situation. It's a precarious week, and certainly for even 125 guys who are in the field legitimately in Memphis who don't want the distraction of another three being added and then constantly being asked questions about it. In fact, they're going to face the questions yeah. even if those three guys aren't in the field. But it, it is an important week because if a precedent is set here, if this restraining order is granted, well then any live player who is eligible in some form for any PGA Tour event going forward could presumably then seek the same injunctive relief to show up and play. And it would be a recurring thing where as live golf needs it, it, it needs to be it needs a host body. It right. needs the PGA Tour to make it successful, to keep its guys relevant and in the public eye. So one would expect the further waves of live golfers will seek restraining orders to access the field going forward. And if that precedent is set tomorrow, does it make a lot of sense for the PGA Tour to then continue to fight those in injunction requests when the relief has actually been set as a precedent. And then that just creates mm. a situation where you're going to have live golf guys playing PGA Tour events, essentially for whatever period of time it takes until the, the broader antitrust case is adjudicated and or their status as independent contractors is adjudicated. And that TRO hearing, temporary restraining order hearing is tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern out in southern or northern California, I should say. Let's take a closer look at some of the highlights of this response that was filed by the PGA Tour this morning. This was the eighth point in the response from the PGA Tour saying this is what the TRO plaintiffs are claiming that their suspension served as a warning shot to other professional golfers and has the effect and the intent of threatening Live Golf's nascent entry. The PGA Tour saying, in fact, Live Commissioner Greg Norman has told the media the longer the PGA Tour suspends players, the less Live Golf is worried about it because we have more people coming in and wanting to invest. And this is point number 10. This is the response to the PGA Tour after the TRO plaintiffs contend in identical language in each of their declarations that their decision to join Live Golf was made in part because they believe Live Golf is good for the game, that Live Golf offers innovation to the golf entertainment product. PGA Tour responding, the TRO plaintiffs have made very different public statements about their reasons for joining Live Golf. Matt Jones told the Golf Channel that joining Live Golf was purely a business decision for me. And this Hudson Swafford, this is the response again from the PGA Tour. Hudson Swafford emphasized to Sports Illustrated that Liv's schedule is very enticing to a guy who has two small kids. Mr. Taylor Gooch told the media he intended to play just one Liv event before returning to play on the PGA Tour, despite the fact that he intended to actually play in more than one event. And this case will be heard by District Judge Beth Labson Freeman of the Northern District of California. She was nominated by President Barack Obama in January 2014, confirmed by the Senate a month later. And her previous roles has included Deputy County Counsel in San Mateo County in California for 18 years, and then a judge in the Superior Court of California in the County of San Mateo for 13 years. And here's the timeline of recent events that has gotten us to this point. May 31st, Live Golf Field for London was announced, and that included the three plaintiffs, Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones, and Hudson Swafford. Nine days later, they put a tee in the ground in that event, and on the same day, the PGA Tour suspended all of its members who were competing in that Live Golf event. Then last Wednesday, 11 Live Allied players filed an antitrust suit against the PGA Tour, and in a secondary legal action, Gooch, Jones and Swafford sought temporary restraining orders to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Today, the PGA Tour has responded to that action and tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern, the Judge Freeman will hear that case in California's Northern District Court. We bring in now Jaime Diaz. Jaime, you've read these documents today as well. What do you take away from reading the Tour's response to the request for the temporary restraining order? Well, you know, Eamon, you know, there's always recency bias in whenever you see a, a very well put together uh, statement by either side. And right now the tour, I think, has, you know, an impact with how well organized and how it's point by point answered things. And it just seems to me that it makes a pretty strong case in rebutting Liv's objections. I mean, certainly it comes down to this one, you know, very basic uh, offense by the Liv golfers, which is, they did not seek uh, a release to play in a competing event, which is PGA Tour policy. 
They played in the live event. They were told they were going to be suspended. It happened. They did not file anything until right now, and now they're saying it's an emergency and that there's irreparable harm, and irreparable harm seems like a very high bar for guys who've just signed for millions and millions of dollars. Um, and, you know, the emergency part of it seems a little fabricated, too. I mean, I just go back to the big picture, which is basically the tour has worked for a lot of years, certainly with some objections and some arguments, but overall relatively few. And most recently, the tour has been praised by most of the players for being in this kind of Camelot moment after Tiger Woods, when all the prices of all the uh, purses have gone up, the pensions better than ever. Just we just had a new disruption by uh, by, by by Saudi by the Live Golf money, which is extraordinary, and it's changed people's perceptions about what they possibly can get out of golf. But before this, there were no arguments about the tour. To act as if now there's been all this dissension and this is a very flawed model, perhaps there will be flaws that are found legally. But at the moment, I just think like the majority of people would say, what's the problem except you want more money? Uh, and that's fine, but is there really a legal offense? Uh, to me, the TRO could, could go in, in Liv's favor. And if it does, it's a fairly narrow victory and it'll be played up in terms of, uh, you know, public relations and everything. But it doesn't really go to the antitrust suit uh, as a whole, in my opinion. Uh, that's a bigger fight, as you just said, Eamon. This one will be, you know, chalked up as a small victory. And if they happen to get it, and if they don't get it, the tour will do the same thing. But I don't think a great deal is at, at stake right now except public opinion for the short term. Yeah, Jaime, on the same token, we heard players in Greensboro last week, PGA Tour players saying that should live golfers show up in Memphis, Tennessee, that they would not be welcomed by the membership. How dangerous a week is this for professional golf on the whole? Well, that perception is dangerous, Damon, that the, the golfers who have always been the genteel athletes, the ones who, you know, rooted for each other and called penalties on themselves, if they're suddenly fighting openly, uh, I don't mean fist fighting, it could come to that, but let's just say there's just a lot of arguments and cold shoulders, I think that hurts the sport and the sport's brand. So I don't think anybody on the PGA Tour wants to see that, but after, after all, this is a lawsuit against the players. This is their money that's going to pay for those attorneys. And so, of course, there's hard feelings, especially if they feel this is a specious lawsuit. So it's unavoidable, and it's right now just a down period for golf in terms of how it's being perceived by the public. Uh, some people are PGA Tour pro, some people are, are pro-live. But the fight itself is not good. Uh, let's hope it's not, you know, a long, long-term one, although that could be the case as well. Jaime, do you find it interesting in how much of the tour's rebuttal is using the words of Live Golf and the players against them in a way that all of the braggadocio we've seen from Greg Norman about how, you know, he's got players lined up, that he almost has to close the gates here because so many guys want in, while on the other hand, he wants to argue that irreparable harm is being caused by the league or somehow this nascent upstart is being stomped out by, by the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. It's kind of as though they... It's interesting that Monaghan and his crew at the PGA Tour seem to have said very little in public over the last year. The guys on the other side have said quite a lot in public and now it seems to be turned against them when the legal filings come around. It's a good tactic for the point you make, Eamon. If, if, if you're bragging then, that things are going so great and people are waiting in line to join, how are you suffering irreparable harm? Uh, it, it's a contradiction, and I think it's a, it's a good tactic. Uh, I think, you know, some people have questioned whether Jay Monahan of the PGA Tour has been vocal enough in, in these interim months. Uh, but I think they believe they have a good, strong case that will hold up in court and would rather not air it in public uh, at the perhaps, you know, detriment of that case, because when, as soon as you start saying a lot, you can certainly help your opponent, but you can also say the wrong thing uh, and make a mistake. So I think they want to keep it in that vacuum of the legal issue, and I think they feel they have a, a, strong, uh, a strong case. Uh, some people feel that the TRO uh, sort of uh, barrier or, or, or bar is lower and that it's not a big deal to get a TRO. I still think if you're trying to prove irreparable harm in an emergency situation, I think that's, that's a pretty high bar considering what Liv's case is. A lot of unknowns of what could be another very contentious week in professional golf. Great having Jaime Diaz with us on this Monday. And a reminder, the hearing for the temporary restraining order is scheduled for tomorrow in San Jose, California at 4 p.m. Eastern time. We will have you covered with live reports on Golf Channel throughout the day. Matthew Duhigh wins the AIG Women's British Open. And her husband gets there before her caddy and her opponent. <laughs> it's right. A little exuberant. You understand for the journey woman, 33 years of age. A remarkable week. Able to.
turn back that triple bogey at the 15th, finish par, par, par. What a final day. 75 in the final round doesn't get done at a lot of major championships, but it does for Ashley Buhai. Week in Scotland, important week at Muirfield. Players representing South Africa to win at Muirfield. You want to talk about a couple of Ashley's heroes. Gary Player winning the 1959 Open, and of course, Ernie Els 20 years ago getting it done in the playoff as well. And both of those guys were quick with the congratulations afterwards. Gary Player tweeting this, massive congratulations to Ashley on winning the AIG Women's Open at Muirfield. What a fantastic final round and a playoff for Ashley. Her victory will go down in history as a legendary moment for ladies golf in South Africa. We are so proud. And then the last South African to win at Muirfield, Ernie Els, says brilliant win yesterday, Ashley. So special to see you win at Muirfield in the playoff. Today when she joins a pretty robust list of famous names who've won at Muirfield over the years, even beyond the South Africans, you know, Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas, Nick Faldo, a couple of times. Were you surprised, even with a five-stroke lead, that someone who hadn't won on the LPGA Tour before held on and showed that kind of resolve in that kind of moment? Yes, yes, and yes, <coughs> especially after the triple at 15. When you consider in the history of the AIG Women's Open and in the Open Championship as well, think about how many championships, how many majors have been lost via bunkers or burns <coughs> or some kind of catastrophe. And she had a catastrophe on the 15th hole. For her to be able to steady herself and bring three pars home and then that gorgeous bunker shot. And I love the fact that her hero is Ernie Els because Ernie had similar moments of doubt in his final round 20 years prior. This is the 13th <coughs> hole. He walked to this bunker. The ball's nearly buried. Hits what he called the best shot of his career to 18 inches. He said as he was walking to that green, his head was a raging storm of doubt. And now this, one leg out of the bunker in the playoff, the 18th hole. Playoff including Steve Elkington, Thomas LeVay, and Stuart Appleby able to get up and down to win the Claret Jug for the first time. And to think that 20 years later, here's Ashley Buhai, who grew up loving Ernie Els on the very same golf course, displaying that type of bunker game, it was meant to be. And at 33 years old, I thought she was a great lesson in how perseverance and, and maturity aren't necessarily a straightforward mm. process. It's not necessarily a straightforward line that gets you there. And she started out as a prodigy. She was only, what, I think she was 16, 17 years old when she won the South African Women's Opal. For the first time, she was a prodigy on the Sunshine Tour, won multiple times there, became the youngest winner in the history of the Ladies' European Tour, and then moved on to the LPGA Tour. And now at 33, finally gets her first win on that circuit. She played 42 majors. 41 had been played before yesterday, and she had one top five finish yes. and had missed the cut in almost half of them. But said, you know, she put herself in the mix enough in enough big tournaments against enough big players to at least have the guardrails for yesterday. She knew the situation she was in. She just handled it better than she had previously. And it's not as though Inji Chun kind of threw it away. Inji Chun played three really solid yes, playoff did. holes and just kind of got unlucky by getting a little too close to the lip of that fairway bunker on 18. But when presented with the opportunity, there was a little bit of wobbliness there in terms of that approach shot on 18. But when presented with the requirement to yeah. deliver some nerves and, and kind of solidity at the end of it. She had what will probably go down as the best shot of her career, oh. no matter what she does from this point on. In her caddy in that fourth playoff <coughs> hole, as she stepped into that bunker, you know, show everybody, you know, why you're the best bunker player in the world and to hit that shot under those circumstances. And also, you mentioned the thin resume that she had going into this major championship. She was the 36-hole leader in 2019 at Woburn, completely different golf course, but Hanako Shibuno ended up winning that major championship. Yuhai was in that final group, so I think there were some lessons learned from that 36-hole lead that she had, and it looked like it was all going to be thrown away on that triple bogey. I don't know how you find the resolve, the nerve. When you think about Adam Scott in 2012, you know, driving into the bunker, bogeying the final four holes. I mean, we've seen that happen before uh, in Lynx golf, in this major championship, and on the men's side as well. And I don't know how you find the stomach after a gut punch like that. Yeah, she had said to her caddy, or in, in the press afterwards, she said she had a conversation with her caddy 
walking off 15 and said, it's easy to panic and come home in an ambulance. Mm. And she didn't do that. She steadied the ship quite brilliantly. Even what turned out could have been a missed birdie opportunity, obviously on 17, but it was another beautiful bunker shot that yeah. gave her the opportunity for that bunker. And you're not losing ground by powering 17 and yeah. 18 to make your way into that playoff. She was given ample opportunity to show that the resume was thin. Yes. She didn't fall at, at, at any point. She didn't falter at all. She kept her nerve when it mattered and delivered a shot that to me would go down as arguably the best shot we've seen in the majors mm. this year. We've seen two wonderful bunker shots on major championships on the 18th hole this year. Matt Fitzpatrick obviously at Brookline. Yeah. But to me, what we saw out of Ashley Buhai yesterday in those circumstances, with so much to prove at the age of 33, because that's the age where you start to wonder if you're on the right Will you ever win? Will you ever get it done? Yeah, when, when the wins are pretty far back in the rear view mirror. I mean, the, the South African wins, she's been a regular winner right. over the last few years, but that's not against the strongest players in the world. She took on the best players in the world at Muirfield on the best golf course in the world, and when called upon to give an account of herself when it mattered most, Ashley Buhai didn't falter. That sets her up, to me, into an intriguing part of her career mm. now, is what do you do with the confidence and belief at 33 that you would have wished you would have had maybe at 23. Splendid bunker shot in that playoff and throughout. We weren't the only ones watching yesterday. Let's bring in our own Paige McKenzie. Paige, great to see you. What a wild Sunday that it was the final major of the year. What did you take away from Ashley's ability to, to fight through adversity? I think that's what I took away and you guys both described it beautifully and I want to take you back to that 2009 uh, AIG Women's Open where she was in the final pairing with Hanako Shibuna. It was a bit of a flashback because the two of them were paired together again this year. But back in 2019 Shibuno got the best of Buhai and it was from the beginning. Ashley on the first hole missed the fairway, missed the green. The second hole missed the fairway missed the green and for a player that had played so consistently to get to that final group she struggled in this beginning of the final round and you wondered how that would shape her in these moments that she lives in now and and you detailed in how the failures of the past may have better prepared her for the moments that she was faced with um, and actually, that was a tremendous shot. Um, how she was going to be faced with the moments of adversity. And I would start at the first tee yesterday, where she is sleeping on a five-shot lead. How is she going to respond? How is she going to start this final round paired with Shibuno once again? Is she going to be able to deliver having slept on that lead? What a tremendous tee shot to start the day. And this first hole was an absolute bear. You can see the wind whipping straight back into the players' faces, hitting a fairway metal into this green. And you can see she's staring it down. That was one of the best shots of the morning or afternoon that we saw, that she was able to get it all the way back to that hole and able to par that first hole and get it under her belt. Well, she talked about how she was better able to stay in these moments because she started working with Duncan McCarthy in February of this year, a sports psychologist. She said she'd been swinging well for a long time, but he was giving her more tools to stay in the moment. And you mentioned it, she could have come home in an ambulance with the failure at 15. But she said, I can only control one shot. I have this shot. And that's what she did in that finishing stretch. How she responded to the difficult moments, whether it was sleeping on the lead and getting out to a good start or having the disaster of 15 and finishing strong, to me, that is a testament to the learning that she had in 2019 and whether she had to go to a sports psychologist to get those tools or whatever she needed to to address it, she was much better prepared to handle those moments yesterday than she was a couple of years ago. Paige, you mentioned the wind that was flapping those flags on the first tee. They were also flapping in the background there on the 18th green. What did you take away from her ability to deal with those kind of breezes that were such a factor this week at Muirfields, particularly yesterday? I would say the one thing that stood out to me this week when watching Ashley was just how rhythmic her swing was, which as we know, the wind can often mess with. And she was asked about it early in the week and what was the key to keeping that good tempo? It's different thoughts for everybody. Um, you know, we've kind of got it down to whereas if I swing 40% up and I lock it in at the top, then my tempo is good. Or 
you count one, two, three. Um, so that's all, all I'm trying to do is remind myself of every shot. I'm like 40% up, 40% up. And that's my only focus. And after that, wherever the ball goes, it goes. And luckily, today we're pretty straight. Well, I've heard you swing 85%, you swing 80%. I've never heard swing 40%. But there was something about how she performed this week, and it was true every single day. There didn't seem to be much of a variation in her swing across the day. She mentioned the one quick tempoed shot was that drive on 15 that put her in the bunker. But you can see it. It was effortless. It was like the ball got in the way of her swing. It was so smooth it looked like a practice swing that the ball just happened to be sitting there and to me when I think of a champion in those moments when it's windy oftentimes you see stress you see hard work and Ashley just man managed to have that smoothness throughout and it made me think Damon we've already talked you already made the comparison about Ernie Els but when I was watching Ashley early in the week that's the swing I thought of the big easy her hero a person that she admired somebody that won at this golf course. There was an effortlessness about how he swung the golf club. And you wonder how much of her growing up watching this player play wore off. How much of his philosophy on how he swung the golf club bled into what Ashley Buhai did as a, as a small child growing up. Because that 40% swing tempo paid off really well for Ashley Buhai. 40% tempo, I'm taking it to the course next time. <laughs> I'm out there, and I love the ties between Ernie Els and Ashley Buhai. What a magical week for both of them at Mirrorfield. Page, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Well, two weeks ago, a lot of golf fans were introduced to this guy, Tom Kim, as the PGA Tour's newest temporary member. Two weeks is a long time in elite golf. He's now been introduced as the Tour's latest winner. We'll show you how the young Korean got the job done at the regular season finale. Right after the break. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. You won three times on the Asian Developmental Tour. You then became the second youngest winner ever in Asian Tour history. And you've already accomplished two wins on the Asian Tour, two wins on the Korean Tour. Are you surprised at how quickly you're progressing, given that you are still only 20 years old? I mean, if I'm being greedy, I mean, I, I would love to come out on the PGA Tour when I was 18, 19. You know, that would have been great. But um, no, not really for me. Um, you know, I've... You know, my, my team, we put a lot of work in and we expect results and um, for me to be, you know, just 20 and now be able to play on the PGA Tour full time next season, it's it's just a step in the stone. You know, I feel like, you know, being here is a big accomplishment, but I feel like now it's just the beginning where I have a full long career and hopefully I can stay here for you know, for a long time. It's okay to be greedy. Greatness is greedy, but not exactly the start Tom Kim had in mind. On Thursday at the Wyndham, started this week on the par four first, made a quad. Went on to finish strong, though. Look at all those birdies coming home, 31. 
in an opening round of 67. Found himself two shots back, heading into the final round, and just kept the pedal down. 20 under par, what a statement. The young man from Korea, <coughs> a special temporary member, a full-fledged PGA Tour member. A five-shot victory after making a quadruple bogey eight. Spot the field four right off the bat, then beat him by five. That's sending a pretty strong message for a 20-year-old kid, don't you think? I think so. And when we talked to him last week, I was like, hey, you want me to put in a word? Trevor Immelman, the International President's Cup team captain. Well, they're paying attention. What you doing September 19th to the 25th, Tom Kim? Hashtag international team. Well, whatever he was doing, it's not what he's doing now. <laughs> it's going to be a busy fall. For this young man, whole life ahead of him, second youngest winner on the PJ Tour since World War II, behind Jordan Spieth, who won at the age of 19 at the Deer. Uh, what are your thoughts on what we're seeing from this play? This is very, very rare. It's an interesting comparison to the protege we were just talking about, Ashley Buhai, who also achieved great success early in her career and then kind of hit neutral until she's found this golden moment now. He's the exact opposite. He, you know, he took the name Tom after Thomas the Tank Engine. He's not so much a tank engine as a bullet train at the, at the rate he's moving through the professional game. Right now, he's got the four wins in Asia. Now he has a PGA Tour victory. And he played nine starts this year on the PGA Tour. And he said in that interview when we had him on the show last week that the tie for third of the Genesis Scottish Open was a big deal for him. Not just in terms of the FedEx Cup points he picked up at the time, which eventually helped to make him a temporary member of the tour, but the, it gave him the confidence. So then he follows it up with a seventh place finish at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and now a win at the Wyndham. And if you want to feel really old, Damon, this is the first guy born in the 2000s. Yeah, I saw that. Who's stand. won on the PGA <laughs> I Tour. I do feel old. So it's kind of make our bones feel a little bit creakier. But when you look at the history of the, the Wyndham, particularly as the last event of the regular season, we talk about the bubble guys a lot, people, it's a tournament where people are desperately trying to grab on to yeah. the, their status for next year. Obviously, they're trying to seek a win as well, but you always feel as though it's the tournament where the guys are clinging on by their fingernails, and that's the great drama of the week. It's seldom been referred to as the tournament where it's the launch pad yeah, for a potential superstar's career. Yeah. And he has all of the tools, obviously, to be that superstar, but the attitude is what struck me and that reaction we saw from him on the 18th hole. He believes that's what he should be doing. He wasn't shocked no. that he won yesterday. When he talked to us last week, he wouldn't have been shocked had you told him then he was going to win. This is where he thinks and believes he ought to be. And that yeah. should scare a few guys. It should. And he gained a lot of confidence, he said, from playing a practice round with Siwoo Kim at the Open, where Trevor Immelman actually came out to watch a couple of holes. And Tom told his caddy, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm, I'm nervous. The last thing I want to do is, like, hit a poor shot or, or, or a, little, a shank, possibly. And instead, he played very, very well. And after Trevor went away, Tom continued the conversation with his caddy. He's like, you know what? I actually did pretty well. I think I'm going to be okay. And he's clearly more than okay. I will be fascinated to see how his game translates to some of the larger golf courses, the longer ones on the PGA Tour. He is not a long hitter. I was in St. Augustine this past week doing PJ Tour Live, so I got to watch a lot of his game. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful to watch, but it is an old-school game. It is fairways and greens. Translates very well at a Detroit golf club, at a Sedgefield Country Club. Those are anomalies on the PGA Tour schedule these days. How will he find his way you know, on the Torrey Pines's you know, on the Quail Hollows, which we might see coming up in a few weeks' time for him during the President's Cup. But he has a wonderful future ahead, but I want to see how his game translates to some of the harder, longer setups on the PGA Tour. Yeah, the short ball doesn't really travel very well on the PGA Tour, but two things that do travel really well are hitting it straight, and he was sixth yeah. in fairways. He's one of the straightest guys out there on tour, and he led the field in putting yeah. at Sedgefield this weekend, and he's a pretty solid putter week in, week out that we've seen him so far, and those are two skills mm. that work on any golf course. Got a lot of game. Congratulations, Tom Kim, on win number one on the PGA Tour. And it was a wild Sunday at the Wyndham. Usually is for the season finale. You saw the highs and lows and emotion as players battled it out with playoffs and tour cards on the line. So who made it and who was left out? That's coming up on Golf Today.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. History was made on Sunday. Ashley Buhai outlasting three-time major champ Inji Chun in a four-hole sudden-death playoff to win the 2022 AIG Women's Open. And with the win, she becomes the first woman to win a major at Fame Muirfield. Pretty cool. She joins Sally Little as just the second women's major champ from South Africa. How about players who have earned their first LPGA win at the AIG Women's Open? It's quite a lot, actually. Jung Jang, you think it's G.A. Shin, the UCLA Bruin Mo Martin, Georgia, Sweet Georgia. As Rich Lerner said many years ago, Hinako Shibuna, who was in the mix this past week, Sophia Popov, that fairy tale, gone from catting for a friend of winning a major, and Ashley Buhai, definitely a journey woman, winning her first major championship. With more on the weekend, we're joined now by Beth Ann Nichols, also of Golf Week magazine. Great to see you. First of all, give us your reaction to Buhai's breakthrough performance. Oh my goodness. It was brilliant. I, 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 she, you guys mentioned earlier that she said she could have gone home in an ambulance after that triple bogey on the 15th. I think we were all having a heart attack for her because to come into the final round with a five stroke lead and, and seemingly have it under control. And then it just, it just unraveled in, in the blink of an eye, the way she was so resilient down the stretch and time after time in that, in that playoff with that spectacular up and down from the Island bunker. I mean, she, she finally made good on the promise that she showed at such a young age when she won the South African Women's Open at age 14. Well, something else concluded yesterday, Beth Ann. Minji Lee has officially clinched the 2022 Rolex Annika Major Award, which recognizes the player as the most outstanding record in all five major championships during the LPGA Tour season. How impressed are you with everything that Minji Lee has managed to accomplish this season? Well, it's been incredibly consistent. When you look at her major finishes, she has three top five finishes, a first place, of course, at the Osomans Open and second at the KPMG Women's PGA. And then she finishes in the top five yet again at the AIG Women's Open. She had three, four finishes in the top 12 in the five majors this year. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. When I look back, I was thinking back to an old an old uh, Chevron championship when Minji was was the uh, the low amateur, and I wrote a story about how she and Lydia Ko were were neck and neck really as juniors on the same path. Then Minji Lee, you know, fell out of a golf cart, broke her ankle, and it really set her back for about six months. She couldn't play, and in that period of time, Lydia Ko shot off like a rocket, and all of a sudden, you know, Lydia Ko's the the face of 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 golf for quite a while for women's golf. And it's just really interesting now that here you, you come all these years later and now they both have two major victories, very different paths. Absolutely. And a great week also, I'd say for Ireland's Leona Maguire finishing the IG women's open in a tie for fourth next week. She's one of the headliners at the ISPS hand a world invitational as the tour heads to Northern Ireland, your expectations for her. It's gotta be emotional. Oh, absolutely. It's perfect timing coming in hot off your best major finish with a bogey-free 66 at, at Muirfield. And, and what's so cool about this is she's coming back for the first time to see all the Irish fans since she became the first Irish woman to win on the LPGA. So how much do they love her? They threw a parade in her home 
County of Cabin after the, the Solheim Cup when she was the MVP and the president called her after she won on the LPGA. So I expect there to be many, many fans. And I love that this is this is a, a co-sanctioned event that the men are playing, that the DP World Tour is playing at the same time. They're playing two different courses in the same venue, and they'll they'll play for an identical purse. And Leona is the face. When you go to the to the DP World Tour website, hers is the big face that you see that that they're they're welcoming her back to Ireland. And then there's a, a small of, of, of the, the man who won last year. So <laughs> this should be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's as it should be. Bethan, Ru Zhang continues to impress. She took home the silver salver on Sunday as a low amateur in the Women's Open, just her second appearance there. What do you make of where she is now and what we're seeing from her? Well, it's still great to be Rose, <laughs> of course. Uh, she learned a lot. I missed the cut last year in Carnoustie. Learned a lot about Lynx golf and obviously put that put that emotion this year at Mirfield. And, and, and after this, she won't be playing in the, the women's amateur, U.S. women's amateur. This week, obviously, turned around last night. But uh, but we will see her in Paris at the World Amateur Team Championship, and then she'll jet on over to Pebble Beach for the first event of the season for the Cardinal and. As for turning professional, she says it's really up in the air right now. She she obviously is going back to Stanford this fall, and I think the next big decision for Rose is is she going to enter Q school? And if so, you know you're you can't defer as an amateur any longer, so she'll have to turn professional. So it'll be interesting to see if she does that or if she sticks around for the spring. I don't I don't think she knows the answer to that question yet. Bethann, I love the golf course Muirfield, the history that was made, but just the the holes nine ten. 1, 17, 18, 13, the par 3. But this week was more about the history and, and Ashley becoming the first woman to win at Muirfield. What were your impressions of the week as a whole? Well, you know, one of my favorite things about the women playing these these wonderfully historic courses is, is that now they become part of the conversation of the history of the game. So, you know, one of my favorite stories from the week is, is Ashley talking about playing a practice round. And while she's playing, she's she's looking up on YouTube the magnificent shot that Ernie Els hit uh, in the final round when he won from the bunker in 2002 on the 13th hole. And, of course, that was for inspiration. She goes on and now you know, generations will be able to YouTube her magnificent up and down on that fourth playoff hole from the bunker. And and that that's what's so fantastic about it is is that now she's part of that history. And this this will go down as one of one of the most important moments, I think, in the history of golf. She will always be remembered. Well the majors may be over for twenty twenty two, Beth Ann, but the LPGA season has a lot left to go. What are you most looking forward to in the next three months? I think the player of the year race is going to be really intriguing. And, you know, we, we started <coughs> off the year talking about Nellie Corda and Jin Young Ko and this wonderful rivalry that we thought would pick back up. And when you look at this list here, of course, you know, you don't <coughs> see Nellie on it. And Jin Young Ko is all the way down in the 10th position. So, you know, of course, Jin Young had a fantastic second half of the year last year. So she can easily turn this around and get back into the conversation. But, but we have a couple players at the top in Minji Lee and Brooke Henderson who've never been LPGA Player of the Year. Of course, this has nothing to do with a vote or anyone's opinion. It's strictly based on points, which I love. And so it could be a huge, a huge year for, for both of them because that carries a precious Hall of Fame point with it as well. Well, as the major championship season comes to an end, I just want to say thank you for all your contributions. Still lots to play for as the year winds down, but we get you on VMix and Teams. We call you quite a bit, Beth Ann, so thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> well, this week, the LPGA Tour and DP World Tour are co-sanctioning the ISPS Handa World Invitational. Some of the world's best players will take on two fantastic courses in Antrim, Northern Ireland. Some of the finest views and golf you can find in the world right there. And here's a look at the upcoming LPGA schedule. We have that event in Northern Ireland, followed in a couple of weeks by the CP Women's Open in Canada. And then it's two stops in the great state of Ohio, the Dana Open in Sylvania, Ohio, and then the Kroger Queen City Championship in Cincinnati. And let's get an update on the Epson Tour, the road to the LPGA. China's Zhao Wenyin has gone back to back, winning the French Lick Charity Classic just one week after capturing her first Epson Tour win. 
Yin, who now sits at number two on the Ascensus race for the card, is in a great position to earn her LPGA Tour card for 2023. All right, Eamon, still to come. The FedEx Cup playoffs get started this week. We're about to make some bold predictions. Best Cinderella story. Who's the biggest threat? We discuss when Golf Today returns. back on golf today. The countdown to Eastlake is upon us with the next two playoff events determining who among the world's best players will make it to the Tour Championship. Pick up that check for $18 million. Here's a look at the upcoming schedule. Starting this week, the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Top 125 in the FedEx Cup points list with an asterisk beside that at the moment. Mm. Then we move on to Delaware, Wil Wilmington Country Club, the BMW Championship next week. And then everything culminates at the Tour Championship at Eastlake, August 25th through 28th. So it's time for some bold FedEx Cup predictions. And Damon, between Ashley Buhai yesterday and Tom Kim, we've seen two great Cinderella stories yeah. manifest themselves. So who, who's the great Cinderella story of the FedEx Cup? Who do you look at now who's not even in the field for, say, the BMW? Who's outside yeah. the top 70? Who's going to make a move? Ricky Fowler. Now, work with me. I know he's made more than $41 million inside the ropes, not even including FedEx Cup money. I know he's a five-time PGA Tour, but Ricky has not won since 2019. He has fallen on hard times, at least as far as his game is concerned. A proud Players' Championship winner. He's won the Scottish. He's won in the Middle East in Abu Dhabi. He's won in the playoffs. But he hasn't won a lot lately. And I think that with his, you know, high exposure... And with his, you know, commercial success, it almost puts him in that underdog role because he hasn't done much inside the ropes. He did finish, you know, runner-up a great week in Vegas, but that wasn't enough to get him safely inside the number. He barely made it by the skin of his teeth. And I think at this point, at the age of 33, he's a bit of a Cinderella. Am I, am I crazy to, to throw him in that category? I think you are only because he's 125th. I mean, he's literally got to jump. Everybody. He's got to, the to game. We just haven't seen he it. He has the game, but we haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. That CJ Cup where he made the great run just coming up short of Rory McIlroy was all the way back in last October. And yeah. we haven't seen very much out of Ricky. That's been very good recently. And, I mean, the Wyndham Championship was an example of Ricky with his back against the wall yeah. where he needed to really play up to guarantee his slot. Ricky didn't play well. Ricky missed the cut. And eventually, just by the fate of others... Ricky yeah. finally held on to that spot. Maybe finishing in the top 125 is going to free him up a little bit because he can go into next week with absolutely nothing to lose because there can be no expectation that Ricky Fowler is going to jump 55 spots and get into the top 70 for the BMW Championship. But well, who can? Okay, you, Ricky, you're saying no. Who's your Cinderella? I'm going for the same Cinderella story we saw last year, Chesson Hadley. Remember he made that ace I at do. the Wyndham Championship last year in the final round? It got him in to the playoffs in 125th spot. Right now, he's 105th in the FedEx Cup ranking, so he needs a big week. But he's coming off a couple of big weeks yeah. as well. You know, he finished tied eighth in the Wyndham last weekend. He had a top 10 finish in the 3M a couple of weeks ago, so he's showing some form. And he's my pick from mm. what is the toughest leap to make yeah. in the playoffs. The, the most tragic leaps are those that are made or not made in the Wyndham Championship. The toughest one to me are the guys who have to try to move themselves from that mm. 70 to 125 barrier because by dint of being there, they're clearly not playing right. that well. Right. Great point. And that's a big jump to make. But I think Hadley could do it for the second Speaking year Speaking of row. jump, Cheston had that baby giraffe celebration after making that ace <laughs> last year. So who's the biggest threat? Let's say 31 through 70, like the biggest threat. Who has that momentum? Who has been playing well? Part of me would have said Tony Finau. Okay. But how do you pick against Tom Kim? You know, he, he's played great in Scotland during the summer. He played great in the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And what he did yesterday, as you pointed out earlier, he spotted the field four strokes after his first hole Thursday and still beat them by five. Yeah. And has that air of calm confidence about him. And at 34 in the FedEx Cup rankings right now, he doesn't have to make a particularly big... He's going to be in the last two... Or the first two playoff events. He doesn't have to play that well yeah. To, to make that bigger leap, four spots to make it all the way to Eastlake. 
to me, he's the one who's in the dark horse threat category. It would be a yeah. real Cinderella story. I think he has the game for Memphis. I think Eastlake would set up very nicely for his skill set. And, and I also compare him a little bit to Victor Hovland in that the optimism that he carries on the golf course, this wonderful kind of expectation that things are going to work out. Not every player feels that way. We surely don't feel that way about our games. But this is someone who just looked. I mean, he made an eight on his first hole. How many players would have just said, you know what, not going to be my week? How do you turn that around and shoot 67 and then close on Sunday with a 61? I mean, I mean this, is, this, is, this is not typical behavior. No, a lot of guys would have been, you know, reaching for their back when they carded that yeah, eight on the yeah. first hole and suddenly finding an injury, whereas... You know, he hung around, and three days later, he's putting a check for more than a million dollars into his back pocket. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good testament to attitude right there. But when you look at the guys that he would have to leap to really come home with the $18 million at Eastlake, you're talking about the absolute elite of the game right now. Of the guys who are in that mm. top 30, who do you look at? And forget the challengers and the Cinderellas. Who do you look at in that top 30 of the near certainties and think, that's my man? I'm going to tell you a quick story. 2015, a proud Texan who had had a historic year was pushed at the end of the year by an Aussie who won a major late. I'm talking about Jordan Spieth and Jason Day. And now we have another Texan, number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler, being pushed late by an Aussie who won a major late in the season. I'm talking about Cameron Smith. Scotty Scheffler, like Jordan Spieth, will win the FedEx Cup. He will have felt the heat and the pressure of a competitor, and he will have an answer, a definitive answer, come Atlanta. Like Jordan Spieth, a high school superstar in the Dallas, Texas area who had a wonderful career at UT, Scotty <laughs> Scheffler will answer the bell, and if there's any question about who is the player of the year, he will answer that question by winning the FedEx Cup. That's a hard sell, but I'm not buying. Oh, I thought that was that good one. with the Texan and the Aussie. I admire the effort you Thank put you. into it. But <laughs> I, I look at a guy like Xander Schauffele, mm. and particularly his track record at Eastlake. In the last five years, he's been fifth, second, second, seventh, and yeah, first. he's good there. And one of those second places, he was actually, because of the staggered scoring system that's used in the, the Tour Championship, he was awarded the full world ranking points for the an actual victory, even though it technically wasn't a victory on the PGA Tour. So when I look at a guy like him who's in form, coming off the couple of wins we've seen from him at the yeah. Travelers, and he won again, obviously, the Genesis Scottish Open. Yeah. He's got momentum, he's got form, he's got terrific history at Eastlake. Ooh, and he's that's a good not, one. Even with the staggered scoring yeah. system, he's not going to be that far back from your boy Scheffler. Won the team event uh, with Patrick Cantley as well. I think he kind of felt some pressure, the, the gold medal notwithstanding, to start kind of bringing home some trophies. Uh, I think he was tired of the, the nearly man storyline that was following him a little bit. And, and what better way to go into the playoffs uh, than Xander Schauffele? I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's making me rethink a little. I'm sticking with Scotty Scheffler, but you brought some great evidence uh, into the conversation. Well, as, you know, Scheffler, or sorry, uh, Schauffele has been getting ragged on for a long time about not having enough hardware out there. As you yeah. know, he's had to build a couple of extra shelves this year. I mean, he's got yeah. three trophies so far this year. I'm predicting that the Tour Championship will be at least his fourth. That's assuming that he doesn't take one of the two playoff events on the way there. Love it. Scheffler, Shoffley, who will it be in Atlanta, Georgia?